This is The Guardian. Fjällräven! 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 Egal wie du es sagst, Fjällräven ist die etwas andere Outdoor-Marke aus Schweden. Eine, die seit 1960 zeitlose Outdoor-Ausrüstung herstellt und dabei keinen Trends nachläuft oder irgendwelche Abkürzungen nimmt. Erfahre mehr und besuche uns auf fjellräven.de. Hello and welcome to the Guardian Football Weekly. What's your most significant human error? I broke Caroline Bosenkett's dustbuster trying to hoover up a pool of water when I was her cleaner and I never owned up. At least the PGMOL did that. If only we could get the audio of the VAR room all sitting there with their hand luggage from the UAE once they all realised what had happened. Tinfoil hat time. But once you say check complete, the missile is launched and you can't possibly uncomplete. What a way for Liverpool to lose. They were good with 11, great with 10, brilliant with 9. But at the end of it, Joel Matip's errant shin was enough for Spurs to take the point. Also, there's life in the title race. Craig Dawson, the Haaland antidote we never knew. Villa hit Brighton for 6. A Delighted Roy, all glasses and damp wire brush hair celebrates at Old Trafford. The chorus of boos are back at Goodison if they ever left. I'm sorry I ever doubted you, Luton. Arsenal breeze past Bournemouth with enough breathing space to give Kai Havertz a pity penalty. And Burnley and Sheffield United continue to struggle. We'll try and do all that in an hour, plus your questions. And that's today's Guardian Football Weekly. On the panel today, John Bruin, hello. Hello, Max. Uh, hello, Jordan Jarrett Bryan. Hello, mate. And hello, Barney Ronne. Hello. Hi, everyone. Mike says, should we insert PGMOL apologies ahead of goal difference, goal scored and disciplinary records as a tiebreaker method? Um, Graham says, do we all need to apologize to Jermaine Genius for making him apologize? And Juan says, can we get a 10-minute soliloquy on human error from Barney? You were there at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium to see Tottenham 2, Liverpool 1. I know you love talking about VAR and refereeing. So the floor is yours. Yeah, you just reminded me that uh, Jermaine was sitting very close to the press box. He was just across the way, just watching the game. And it, it was funny to kind of watch him um, making gestures at the referee. I mean, like everyone, he, he was he was fine. He was very calm. But it, it felt like all the stars were aligning of, um, you know, the, the conspiracy and the um, the terrible problem we all have with, with referees. Yeah, I mean, I was there and um, you could see instantly there was a problem with the... Um, Luis Diaz goal, which was a brilliant goal, it was a brilliant finish. Um, we were right in angle in the uh, in the sort of angle with that, and the shot was perfect. It was a really nice little move, and it was one of those moments where you saw the freeze frame, which after they they reviewed the decision, you thought, no, no, that's not that's not the one they're going to use. VAR has access. We, you know, no, 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 that's not it. VAR has access to lots of different things that we can't see. That's going to be one of those things where you know idiots on Twitter get upset about. But um, no, it seems that, that there there really was a genuine, I mean, it's the kind of mistake that I would make, I have to say. Uh, I, I remember going to Old Trafford to write a sidebar about Cristiano Ronaldo's return with Real Madrid and writing the whole thing, filing it on the final whistle, being perfectly happy and getting back to the hotel where the uh, highlights are on in the bar and only then realising he'd actually scored a goal that I'd completely missed. <laughs> it was the, the winner as well. So I had to refile in about 10 minutes with a new top <laughs> Christian. So, I mean, these things, even even people like me make mistakes like that. But this was a moment where it all seemed to align. I, I was saying just beforehand, I tried to make write down, I come up with this word cloud. It's just capital letters with things like, there are three problems, basically, as far as I can see with this. And 
The first is a... Sorry, I'm going on here. Do you want me to go on or shall I stop? I, no, I really do. No, carry on. I want to know about your... Like, the listeners can't see your word cloud. You need to draw well, It's got lots of underlining words. and angry. It's, it's all in capitals. Um, Perfect. The, the first problem is we have a personnel problem. I don't think... I don't think that these we have the most competent people we can get hold of doing this. It's basically everyone is a, a bald Yorkshireman called Martin Davidson. And I'm sure that or something like that, you know, Kevin Johnson. I'm sure that that is a massive pool of very talented people generally, but they do seem to be a, a small clique of people. And any anything which is is quite so specific and technical as this, you probably could do with casting your net slightly wider. And we can see clearly this is a terrible mistake. Uh, terrible communication, failure to act once you've made the mistake. And I do believe it's a mistake. I don't think that it's a conspiracy because the second problem we have is a structural problem. We have a really complicated sport now, which is microanalyze, where there are objective things. You can watch the red card again and again and again, the first one, uh, you know, Curtis Jones, and have different views on it because someone has to eventually make a call on it and say, I thought that was this, I thought this was that. You have to see it all in the round. It's very, very difficult, but we've tried to introduce certainty and that is a doomed... It's like, um, you know, you're, you're trying to, 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 to turn this into a science when it's not a science. Um, it's a series of collisions, basically, football. And then we have the emotional problem where you can find evidence to support any view. And it's become a lifestyle to see uh, bias, conspiracy. That's become an entrenched tribal position, which people will not be shifted from. It's like saying, can we put the internet back in the box and just not have people hating each other for no reason at all online? It's never going to happen. So this is self-sustaining now. It's all we have to talk about. And there is no cure other than just firebombing the entire sport and taking it back right to the roots and saying we start again although i did think why don't we just have four linesmen as four assistants rather than var uh, and, and and that would probably work a lot better there we go hmm. are there enough are there enough bald yorkshiremen yeah i mean i was thinking about m- mistakes john and that you know that you're more likely to why do you make mistakes you're not very good at what you're doing right one you're under pressure or you are overworked. You know, those are kind of reasons. And I remember this story about a, a hospital in Seattle that had a sort of no-blame culture. And you could just owned up. If you made a mistake, you owned up straight away. And there was no there was no repercussions. And mistakes reduced by something huge. So what we just need is no players to harangue referees, no managers to harangue referees or fourth officials, no fans to go online and criticise them. Um... Uh, no ex-referees to go on television to criticise current referees. And then and then there'd be fewer mistakes. And that, and that feels unlikely, Yeah, I think. Yeah, I, yes, I think part of the VAR process and, um, well, the return of actually Howard Webb to this country uh, to become this front man has led to this almost celebrity culture that we've got of referees. Now, um, Darren England now is a name that will rest in infamy do you know? Will we? Did we? Did we really need to know Darren England's name in the era before? Uh, Barney and I share similar thoughts on this. I'm sure, which is, I never knew the name of a referee when I went went to cover matches. I do now because these people become much more important. Um, and in pushing for the VAR to come in, video evidence, as we used to call it. It's created, uh, I, I wrote this in the papers today, about this sort of ultra-high definition on football, and you see the joins and mistakes are made. And I think there was some footage where you can see Simon Hooper, the actual referee, I mean, the actual referee, remember the, actual, the referee's decision is final? Remember those quaint old days? He's there, and you, there's a bit where you can see they've told him, 
uh, Simon, I think we uh, made a mistake. And you can see the look of the shock on his face. And of course, he can't take it back. And for one, one thing is, maybe there should be some recourse for him to say, whoa, 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 hang on, hang on. We, you know, and, and so these mistakes happen. And then, of course, pitchforks are lit. And off we go with the conspiracy and all the rest of it. And it's been very bad for the game because we agree that Premier League football is, a, is of a high standard, but what are the discussions of after what was a pretty good weekend of football? It's this. Mm. It's a disallowed goal. Yes, the PGMR said a significant human error occurred, which does feel like a phrase that should be reserved for pilots and surgeons, doesn't it really? Um, yeah, or like a train crash or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, uh, Darren England didn't wasn't in VAR yesterday Forest Brentford, Dan Cook, who was the assistant VAR. It's a fun job, isn't it? It's presumably his job is to go, Darren, I don't think the check is complete, mate. Uh, but but he, didn't, he didn't do that. Uh, he's not going to be running the, running the line uh, at Fulham-Chelsea tonight. Um, Klopp was terrifyingly calm in his post-match press conference, saying, I don't think there's anything to say about the offside goal. I knew about it at halftime. In the first moment, I thought it was clearly onside. You think they have a better view? I'm pretty sure who ever made the decision didn't do it on purpose and it didn't take extremely long to come to the conclusion. That's a bit strange. Someone has to explain. Um, uh, Jordan, your thoughts before we move on to the tinfoil hat bit and then the football. Yeah, no, just just a few thoughts. I mean, I know on this podcast we, we joke about not wanting to talk about refereeing decisions and officiating decisions because it's, it's really boring. Um, I, I'm, I'm one of those people that just had long given up on getting angry about decisions being wrong because I think the word that Barney's earlier one was incompetent. Um, I just think they are incompetent. So it's just endless cycle of every single week calling out a wrong decision just doesn't, doesn't, doesn't mean anything anymore. And I think we're in a really dangerous situation now whereby as fans, journalists, pundits, players and managers, we are not sure what the, what the rules actually are anymore. But I'm increasingly starting to believe now that the referees themselves don't even know what the rules are or don't know how to apply their rules anymore. And that's when, as a sport, we're in a really dangerous place then because if they don't even know what they're doing with officiating and, you know, enforcing the laws of, of our game, then what the hell are we doing here? You mentioned um, the, the biggest, I've also got my notes here, as Barney says, the biggest crime of that was that they just had a really good finish from Diaz. That's such a good strike from Diaz. I'm actually fuming if I'm, if, if I'm him. But also on Klopp, you mentioned how calm he was. Um, I've got that on my notes here as well, that he was relatively calm. And I can't work out if it's because the new rules around managers and players not berating referees during games or post-match is actually taking effect. Or if he's just so like non-plus now about wrong decisions, he just he just can't be asked to get to get animated anymore. Just on the game itself, just a couple of quick notes. I've got the Son goal, really nice finish, very similar to the one he scored at the Emirates the week before. That nice open foot, calm, cushioned finish into the goal. And also just on Vicario, I want to mention the keeper for Spurs because I've never, ever, ever been a fan of Lloris. Even when he was at his peak 10 years ago, I never thought he was particularly as good as everyone else made him out to be. He made he made like an insane world-class save one minute and chuck in five the, the, the next. But in Vicario, and albeit only seven or so games, they seem to have a reliable keeper. They're not saying he's world-class, but they seem to have a goalkeeper that seems that they can rely on him. And I think that is one of a few players I've brought to you. He doesn't look amazing, but just looks reliable. And as an Arsenal fan, that makes me fearful of how, how good Spurs this season could be. Liverpool were so good in this game, weren't they? And I just, and like Salah, I thought was immense in this game. They defended brilliantly. And you wrote the 
your your match report was just about the you know the absolute agony can you think of a just a more ridiculous worse more painful way to lose a football match yeah it was it was uh it was really really terrible i mean they they did play well and and it, it looked like um it did look like one of those things where it'd be a brilliant point for them i thought it was significant for spurs even though they they played nine men and they seemed to have the best of the decisions what have you that they actually managed to win that game and it's not always easy you know uh, and uh, i thought I mean, Spurs are just a good team. You know, they've got a good manager. The fullbacks are really good. I think Spurs have unexpectedly, um, and perhaps slightly accidentally, two of the best fullbacks in the league now. I mean, Destiny Odoggi is just a really good player. He's fearless and, and has, you know, the ability to get back, cover his own mistakes. And even Pedro Porro, who sort of had no real feelings about at all, seems to be a really effective um, right back. But it was it seemed significant. I thought if we if we didn't have um the refereeing stuff and by the way, the actual referee in the middle I thought had quite a good game, weirdly enough. It's like VAR disguised it. He was quite good. Um, but VAR's made him look like an absolute buffoon. Um if he removed it, you would have just said, Yeah, he sort of did quite well. I thought it was quite good to give a yellow for the first red card. That seemed quite sensible. But I thought Spurs were good and that got slightly and Liverpool were good. It was a really good game of football. But we have to talk about um anger. And feelings of injustice. And people are right to feel angry and have feelings of injustice. Like the world is full of really terrible. Rishi Sunak is doing something really awful at the moment. Mm. Clearly appealing to a base that shouldn't be his base. Announcing policies that are just kind of um, smoke and mirrors to anger people. There are things we should be really angry about in the world. Uh, people are right to be angry, but not this. This is this is a, a misuse of your bandwidth. Um, it's just. Um, theatre which sometimes goes wrong I agree with that I mean that's why I sort of feel like I don't mind John about VAR existing or not existing either way they're going to be mistakes I don't actually don't mind talking about them like people like everyone makes mistakes I, I don't know how incompetent this set of referees are they're the best what we currently have like finding the best we can get would be good they probably shouldn't go to the UAE I don't know if you agree with this you know no that that, that, that looks deeply embarrassing for Howard Webb and I think Michael Oliver was involved in that as well. Was there yeah, as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Oliver was there, Dan Cook was there, and and um, Darren Ingham were there. Yeah. That's something that's going to have to be explained. And then, of course, people make a link between UAA, suddenly think Manchester City, and off we go. The conspiracy train mm. sets off uh, unless, there's, unless there's a strike. Yeah, I do think... You know, if that was the plan of the conspiracy, it doesn't seem that subtle to get them in on Thursday and say, "Could you do something you on Saturday?" Saturday night, I'll just yeah. give it. I just give it a week. Yeah. You know, give it a week, <laughs> lads. You know, people people might not link it together. Then, do those in the the VAR room? Do they have to be referees? Do they have to go you know, VAR one week, do, and then do they have to run the line on the Monday after? You know, can they be? You know, can we get a collection of whiz kids? That know the rules. Yeah, that, that, a good that, idea. That, you know, um, let's you know, let's let's make this a more diverse process. Move beyond uh, what was his name, Barney, the uh, the Yorkshireman, uh, Martin Martin Davidson. Yeah, beyond balding Martin Davidson, and you know, get some whiz kids, some university graduates, you know, uh, from all backgrounds, you know, that are the best and actually know 
yeah. the laws of the game. They need some nerds. Yeah. Like, have you ever seen a cricket draft thing when the franchises sign players? They have these very public drafts where you sign this guy, South African guy, for you know a million quid. Every franchise there has a coach. Um, a captain and a nerd. Yeah. They all have a nerd. There's two quite athletic looking guys. One of them's a bit older, used to play. And then there's one guy in the team gear with like glasses who looks nervous. And he knows all the stats, everything. He knows every matchup. And he basically whispers in their ear and then they bid for this guy. Why, why have we decided that um, athletic middle-aged bald Yorkshiremen are the best interpreters of rules. There should be people where there's no need to run or kind of, um, you know, look beefy in a green shirt. That should be part of the job. And you're purely a VAR nerd. I agree. Yeah. And also just, they might probably, they probably know the login, don't they? I imagine Martin Davidson struggles to log in when he gets there. Like they, yeah, they've just got everything. Spills coffee, a, spills coffee yeah. over his, <laughs> his Microsoft. You know. <laughs> anyway, we probably haven't taken that seriously enough and we'll get yelled at by some people, but I, you know, I, I agree. I, do, I, I don't, not a conspiracy. Uh, and if it is, we'll look silly. Uh, worth mentioning, and Postacoglu going down in my estimation slightly for the first time by announcing that he had taken down posters of the Fonz from his wall. And uh, Henry Winkler then did get in touch on social media, which was a nice touch, wasn't it? Um, to Molyneux, uh, there's life in the title race. Wolves 2, Man City 1, uh, a Gary O'Neill masterclass. They were brilliantly organised. It's sort of hard to underestimate, Barney, how impressive it is to stop City, basically. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's an odd one when a team with really good players beating another team is seen as a massive upset. You know, it's like Hereford have beaten Newcastle. Teams sh- should lose games. You know, that, that should happen. It makes the league a lot more exciting. Um, I suppose if he wanted to look for issues with City's team, although they, they could have easily scored in this game, looking for structural problems, when it could have been 2-2 or 3-2, seems a bit far-fetched. But Rodri's obviously very important, and anyone replacing him in that role is a downgrade, and Kovacic seems to have a slightly difficult game. He's just, you're not going to be as good as Rodri. He's brilliant, moves the ball so quickly, and is so physically powerful in that team. Also, um, the Haaland, someone's going to say it. Um, that the, is a you can't you can't have a player who makes 14 passes in the entire 90 minutes 14 touches while another player's had 140 touches um in the same team and not occasionally have moments where it looks slightly odd if it doesn't go your way obviously it's worked out pretty well so far but um if you wanted to pick holes you could possibly say that um Haaland hasn't scored a goal against what you'd call a really top team uh, since April. Like he, there are games where he's just irresistible and he's very good against teams where there's a lot of defending. But maybe, maybe they, and Pep looks at everything, second guesses everything. Maybe he will think about this a bit. They've been very lucky that Julian Alvarez has played so well this season, I think. It's really kept them going. But um, it definitely helps. I thought City were going to win every game this season. They're not. That's probably a good thing. Yeah, two defeats in a row. Um, Craig Dawson was brilliant, Jordan. He was, yeah. I mean, he's one of those defenders that I look back as kind of old school, but he's not even that old school. Uh, but he's, his, his type of defending is very, very... Um, he looks like he should be in the in the 1980s in some kind of, I don't know, West Brom team or something. But um, yeah, it worked on this occasion. He was dogged. He was he's determined to not, not um, you know, drop those points. I just wanted to mention um, Neto. There's going to be a theme running through this podcast with me and great strikes. There were some really great strikes this weekend and I thought that the run from from Neto. It wasn't a great strike, but a great goal. He's run like 70 yards um, and um, and a bit of fortune, but really good goal from him. Um, but yeah, we have a title race on so for, for, for a week at least. 
Um, and, and well done, Wolves. Actually, the moment I thought was the most impressive, John, was like, was I think it was Matthias Cunha's assist for Huang. So in that moment, to just have the wherewithal not to just try and shoot, even though there wasn't really a shot on, I just thought it was so calm and brilliant. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think it's that game, uh, uh, I was listening to the radio, I was coming back from Villa Park, and that, the atmosphere from Molyneux sounded absolutely crackers. And it felt like, and this is Manchester City, you know, the, the best team in football, were sort of rocked back by how fervent the Wolves fans were. And, and with that, Gary O'Neill and his team managed to, you know, take that momentum with them. Uh, what's the, is it Matthias Nunes, of course, who was a Wolves player until relatively recently, uh, left under a cloud. <laughs> a player that Pep said was one of the best players in the world, what, a year ago when he was playing for Sporting Lisbon, and then then downgraded that actually on Friday, saying, no, well, I, I, I did say that, but he's got a bit of a way to go. Has he dropped further down now? Because I think the fans got at him and he really did not impress. Uh, but Gary O'Neill... Uh, is a manager who I think is a bit of a specialist at pulling off the heist against bigger teams. That appears what he's good at. I'm not so sure against teams of, say, equal talent because despite Wolves being yeah, a bit of a fire, fire sale over the summer, there's a lot of talent in that team. And I think at times you think they prob- might be doing better. There's obviously gaps up front and stuff like that, but there's talent there. But Gary O'Neill um, continues to impress. Uh, as the manager who gets no summer training with his teams, that's that's the way it goes. Yeah, good job all round. I, I I agree regarding Gary O'Neill. I, I was really happy for him as well because when you think of they've they've played well Wolves this season. Yeah, yeah. They've, they've been a decent team. They they should have got a win at Old Trafford. They they gassed out a little bit against Liverpool a couple of weeks ago at home and they were punished. But they, this isn't. I, mean, I appreciate it's the European champions, but this shouldn't be that much of a surprise because they have been playing well. Um, and I was I was glad that he got what I think he said was the the greatest win of his. Very small managerial uh, career so far. Well, he actually called he actually called Manchester City perhaps the best team ever, which uh, is you know that that's rather garlanding your own <laughs> achievement, isn't it? But you know, fair enough, fair enough. Producer Joel says O'Neill's eleven is a great heist movie, of course. <laughs> um, a slightly more stilted version. If Gary O'Neill did a heist movie, be much, there'd be a lot of planning. Wouldn't there be a lot of planning? He's not really sort of Brad Pitt, is he? And he's, he's sort of you know organising, pulling stuff together. <laughs> so, I mean, I, I, there is a point though, Barney, that like because of how many points we think you need to win the title, like any defeat is. Big for City, right? I think it's a it's a it's a big it's a big moment, and like the other teams who are sort of frantically trying to hold on to their coattails, you know, just must think, ah, oh, this just gives us a tiny chink of light that that it's not just going to be us that has to beat. Them. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, I wouldn't start, <laughs> I wouldn't start writing them off yet. They're pretty good, <laughs> like, but they have lost players and um and and lost some really key players, um, and they have they changed the style. Changed to um, you know playing four pretty solid centre backs and this kind of goal machine up front and it was seamless you know it was brilliantly done for all for all the kind of you know financial advantages and what have you um, the, the the management is just sensational and the way the players buy into it, the way Guardian deals with everyone there are never any problems there's no public dissent there's nothing he just makes it work but you know Guardian has not been that well players have gone. I don't know. Are they, it would be more interesting for the league if they had some bumps in the road. 
but they're just such a brilliant team and Kevin De Bruyne's going to come back um I don't see it being a long-term problem. It's pretty amazing they've started so well uh, with so many things against them, I think. All right, that'll do for part one. Um, Part two will begin at Villa Park. Fjell Reven. Fjell Reven. Fjell Reven. Fjell Reven. Wie auch immer du es aussprichst, Fjell Reven ist eine Outdoor-Marke der anderen Art aus Schweden, die seit Jahrzehnten Nein zu faulen Kompromissen und flüchtigen Trends sagt und gleichzeitig hochwertige und besonders langlebige Ausrüstung herstellt. Erfahre mehr und besuche uns auf fjellreven.de. Welcome to part two of the Guardian Football Weekly. Goom says, I live in the Netherlands, but I'll buy a live ticket to one of your upcoming shows and give it to someone for free if you go the whole show without bringing up VAR. Oh, well. Um, we are going on tour. Uh, London on the 13th of November. Uh, tickets still available. Uh, me, Ellis, Troy, Philippe and Barry. Um, Bristol is sold out with you, Jordan. Uh, Manchester tickets still available for you, John Bruin and Nader Manuha. Um, you shouldn't be too... Happy Jordan. I mean, it's a bigger venue in Manchester, just so you know, Jordan. It's not, it's not, you shouldn't feel bad, John. You shouldn't feel great, okay. Jordan. And uh, the Dublin show, uh, <laughs> shows are sold out, but Brighton uh, is live streamed around the world. So wherever you are, uh, you can come along, theguardian.com slash fwtour23. Um, and Barney, you're in India for the Cricket World Cup. So you will send us some footage and make it entertaining and hopefully feel. A- yeah, I, pr- I promised a- an amusing yes. message. That's what we'd like. Maybe if it lasts. 15 minutes that'd be really great for half time um Aston Villa six Brighton one uh my Aston Villa theory that uh, if you beat them you're good and if you lose them you're bad is truly done after they lost to Everton now beat Brighton but what a sensational performance have to go to you of course for obvious reasons Jordan this was brilliant from Aston Villa. Couldn't have happened to a happy to a greater fan base. Um, I mean, Brighton do get beaten every now and again quite badly, so I'm not sure how great an achievement it actually is. But oh, um, oh, this, oh, all right, all right, all right, all right, right. Um, look, no, six-one is a is a phenomenal uh, result for them against Brighton, who are a very very good team. Listen, I'm not. I think Luke McGinn is slightly overrated, but there was a his assist for I think it was Watkins's third goal was a nice little dink into a into a, a dangerous area that enabled uh, Watkins to kind of to to, to do what he he then did. Um, I, I want to comment on Ramsey. I thought his goal was great. I think Ramsey alongside Eze is probably my favourite young person in the Premier League. I love Jacob Ramsey. I think he could be one of the best players um, over the next two or three years. Is, um for for England. But yeah, I mean, I just think we're going to have to maybe expect these sort of... Villa seems to be quite random in that. They seem to be amazing one minute. And then, yes, as you mentioned, they, they're they not the next. But um, 6-1's a great result. Watkins, I'm sure, will be in the England, England set-up. Um, I mean, I'm not sure, actually, I say that, but I'm not sure at all. But I think he should be in the England set-up after, after that hat-trick. And England aren't blessed with lots of understudies in my opinion to harry kane so he should be included um overall max well done villa good I and mean, their midfield is excellent john isn't it i thought sort of camera yeah. douglas louise and drb just gave brighton i mean jack hinshelwood poor guy eighth. jack hinshelwood is it was it's full debut yeah i mean uh roberto de Zerbi gave him 87 minutes and he was playing alongside the midfield powerhouse that is billy gilmore against those three they got absolutely mauled. Uh, and uh, again, we talk about managers plotting heists. I don't think there's anyone better in the game at this than Unai Emery. I think the amount of meticulous video research that he would have gone through 
over playing Brighton and he's worked out the weakness of their team which is at the point of transition it's when they're vulnerable and Villa just kept smashing away from them and the power that they've got and it does help when you've got a player like Watkins playing so well and you've got Diaby who's also a very very useful player and um, then also in defence you know Evan Ferguson is the the striker of the future but Ezri Konza, who is another player I think should get an England call if if Harry Maguire is involved, um, was was excellent. Um, and you know, it, it was a, it was a red letter day at Villa. They the fans really enjoyed themselves, and Roberto De Zerbi afterwards, you know, accepted the, the, the way things are. They did start pointing out that his team have got to play. You know, it, it was a good line actually. He said, uh, you know, playing Saturday to Saturday is one sport. Playing every three days is a totally different sport. For a club like Brighton, and you are putting in someone like a you know Hinshelwood, who I believe is footballing royalty because he's I think, mm. yeah, the Hinshelwoods fourth generation, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like the Hinshelwoods are a former Brighton manager in there as well, but uh, he didn't actually play very badly, uh, badly at all. But um, Brighton got overpowered, which is as, as Jordan says can happen when it goes wrong for Brighton. It can go very, very wrong, and as revolutionary as Deserby is, I don't think he's ever. He's not a manager that's going to suddenly go to two banks of four and uh, and lock things down. It's just not in his nature. On Unai Emery, I can't think of a manager that celebrates goals as intensely as as, as he does. I, I love it. Every goal, he just seems to just lose his absolutely nut. And I just and then it goes from a zero to one hundred, then zero again, like very quickly. I love it. I love when they score. He just goes absolutely insane. I actually find. Arteta goes pretty wild but there's something and I, maybe it's just complete bias that I find really annoying about Arteta going wild but not Emery which I, I really enjoy <laughs> um, uh, Barney um, any strong thoughts on this football match? No, no I thought we were going to move on no, I mean um, everyone, like as everyone says you know Brighton are spinning plates aren't they they're spinning plate. you know they've got one on their nose he's got one in the little patch between his facial hair here and when they all come falling down uh, they fall down, but I'm sure he can elevate his plates again next week. Uh, Marseille away, Liverpool home, City away, Ajax at home is their next. That's the next four plates. Um, <laughs> uh, let's go to Old Trafford. Uh, Man United nil, Crystal Palace one. Is the most telling thing, John, that Palace winning at Old Trafford is sort of this far down this running order, any match of the day's running order, etc. Yeah, it doesn't even set the heart racing, does it? Now you know they're they're just let's use the word shite. Okay, are, are are there any mitigating circumstances apart from Manchester United being a complete black hole of nothingness? Um, yeah, there, there's a significant injury problems at United, um, and to, to cut a long story short, Ten Hag is in danger of being enveloped by that black hole, just as his predecessors have been. And let's flip it around. Let's play great credit to a, a fine goal. By Anderson uh, and a great defensive performance. Uh, Mark Guayhi was magnificent in defence for Crystal Palace. Uh, we're not surprised when Roy Hodgson pulls off these type of results, and it was great to see him enjoy himself in the soaking conditions. I was driving in those conditions and I couldn't see anything, so I can't imagine what it must have been like in that in Old Trafford, which, as we all know, is like pea soup at the, at the best of times. So. 
yeah, well done, Roy. David, is there anything more perfect than Roy Hodgson in the rain as the full-time whistle blows the proudest, wettest owl? Um, <laughs> the goal was brilliant, Barney, but it was also deflected. And I wonder, can you have a brilliant deflected goal? Yeah, I think so. He, there was so much energy on the ball. Um, it might have been saved if it wasn't deflected because it did startle Anana and actually made him look a bit like he'd... Like, why did you jump out of the way of that? But the deflection, you know, totally deceives you. He's got a microsecond. I'm a bit worried about him. He does seem to be really good at diving quite near the ball while it goes into the net. I don't know if it's just that he's got a nice sort of theatrical dive anyway and he gives it his best. But there's a lot of jumping around. Um, I, I don't, Things have really... It's been a terrible month for Man United. Really one of the great terrible months that they've had. Um, there was a, there was a really weird incident um, at the Arsenal game. Shall I shall I tell this story? Yes, 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 do, Barney. I know, I think I know it. Uh, yeah. Half t- okay, half time in the Arsenal game. I was talking actually to to Miguel Delaney uh, in the press room, and I suddenly became aware of this man talking to me. There was someone sort of interrupting a conversation, and I didn't know who it was. It was a guy in a suit who had some sort of lanyard on, but I couldn't see what it was. And he's saying, "I, I read your article," you know. Blah, blah, blah. And normally people are kind of quite friendly when they say things like that. But then I realised he was angry and he was telling me off about something. And he went on for about two minutes. And I had to say, look, I'm sorry, I don't know who you are. What, what, what's this about? Like, what's your name? And it turned out it was the head of Man United's uh, PR, the uh, comms department, media department. And he was going around the press room, a slightly odd thing to do, uh, putting out fires, telling people what's what, standing up for John Murta and Richard Arnold, saying, how dare you criticise us? I'd written a piece which said... Maybe the recruitment, the management isn't really high level. Maybe it's not best in class. Maybe that's the problem. And and it was, you know, he was adamant that things were going brilliantly. We came, you know, <laughs> we won a trophy last year. Eric Ten Hag is a brilliant appointment. Everything's fine. It's all going really well. We've got a brilliant squad. Since that happened, since that moment, which was very amusing, because I, you know, I didn't care. Whatever, you know. I mean, I, you know, you're going to people are going to write things. You know, it's a football club. Since that happened, they lost that game right at the end. Uh, the Jaden Sancho thing happened the same day. Anthony, Mason Greenwood, the sales fallen through. There was a problem with the former women's team manager. I mean, every, literally, it's like a, the curse of the Emirates. And since that moment of insisting, which is a very weird thing to, for the PR department to be doing, going around briefing people at half time in a game. Um, and I think probably related to takeover and people trying to shore up their positions, which tells you about the infighting at the club, frankly. Um, and I'm sorry if this is drawing back the veil, but if you're going to go and do these things in a press room, uh, it becomes public property. And since that moment, um, it's uh, every time something goes wrong, there's a kind of, you know, what next? Um, the, 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 the place has got not just a rotten roof, but some fairly kind of woodworm riddled foundations. I hope he was trying to do it at full time yesterday. So, by the way, it's still, still going fine, well. guys. <laughs> still for you. Yeah, it's all right. It's interesting that uh, it was related that we won a trophy, was said to uh, Barney, because I've had this theory for a little while, which is that I think when United won that trophy, I think they thought, aha, we've arrived, we're back, we're back. And then obviously, you know, at that point, it looked like United would cruise into a Champions League qualification position, which they made a bit of heavy work of. But the point is about if you want to be a top football club and look across at City, look across at, at Liverpool, you can't just think you've arrived. You want more. And that's the thing. Like When, when they look at how Ferguson achieved it, 
when he would win a trophy, almost the post-match interview would be like, we want to win the next one. And like when they won the Cup Winners' Cup in 1991, I remember the headlines the next day with Ferguson saying, we want to win the league next season. And that's the that's what you have to do. Those are the standards you have to set. Winning the League Cup is not, you've arrived, we're doing okay. It's Manchester United. It's not a club that's expected to, to win things like that and be satisfied with it. And if they're if those people are think that's enough, well, that shows you how far the club's fallen. I'm going to do something that's quite unpopular here and agree with Gary Neville um, in in, in <laughs> the sense that his whole narrative for, for a long while now is that this is about ownership. And whilst I've, I've been having endless arguments with friends of mine at Support United that are saying, it's the players, it's the, you know, you can't link the ownership with selections of teams and substitutions and tactics. That's Rashford, that's down to Ten Hag, that's Fernandez. Look, they're not performing well as individuals and they should be held accountable and scrutinised for their poor performances for sure. But the reason why I blame this mainly on the ownership is because it's that word we hear in football a lot now is it's culture. And if I look at it like any other business, if in any other business at the top, the culture is rotten, it's going to seep down. Now, look at a shop. If you look at a shop, for example, or a business on a sh- on the high street, if the people that don't run that and own that shop don't care about that shop... It's only a matter of time before the people that work on the shop floor are working in an environment where they're not going to work to their best. And I just think that it's really, really, I know, I know people kind of batter him for constantly going on about the ownership. But for me, that is where it starts. Nothing's going to change until that changes. You can change managers. They've done that. It's the same problem. You can, they've bought good players. They've all turned to shit. So at some point, you have to look at the fact that this rotting from the top. And I think that all the fans that keep saying, no, no, no. I listen to where we work on Talk Sport Max. There's people talk about, it's the players, the players. The players are, are not performing well, but they're not performing well for a reason. And the reason is they're in an environment where the culture is rubbish and that is set from the top. So for me, this defeat at Crystal Palace, as I mentioned earlier on, it wasn't a surprise. The players are not performing to their best because they're in an environment where they don't have to. And that for me is, I, 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 I put the blame of that at the ownership. But that, that's one hundred percent right. It's not even, it's not even a stretch. It's direct cause and effect. Absolutely. I find it really extraordinary. You'd say that, well, who hires the people who hire the people who hire exactly? The people? Exactly. Every layer is there. Are, there are kind of comfortable placemen who are not complaining. And I mean, Ralph Rangnick is kind of <laughs> become inadvertently a kind of comedy figure. But he, um, it's become a great prophet. Yeah, he didn't like what was going <laughs> on. He a great profit in saying, hang on, what's wrong is this? And he, he absolutely listed all the problems and it was proved correct. Yeah, and he's out the door. Yeah. Um, is John John Murter, I'm sure, is a very competent guy with a great CV, but is, did they have to fight off Real Madrid and Man City to secure his appointment as director of football? I mean, obviously not. It's an in-house appointment for someone who the, the hierarchy know and who's not going to go public, cause any problems, blah, blah, blah. You're a placemat. So it's a direct cause and effect. It's not a stretch to blame the owners at all. Everything trickles down. And you know, do you know something? We're, um, we're halfway towards the post-Ferguson void being the same length as the entire Ferguson era. And that, that passed in the blink of an eye. Pretty soon, that's going to be the dom- It's going to be just post-Ferguson United. That's going to be the dominant period in the club's history. At some point, something has to happen to move on from that. Wow, that's, that's sort of depressing. Does that mean we then we will start pitying United? You know, people of, of sort of my generation will start going, actually, so long since they were good that now I don't mind them 
being good because still like it's still funny it's still like oh that, that sort of happened to Liverpool didn't it when they finally won the league oh, I'm really glad that yeah. they won the league after all this time yeah. whereas there were decades of people like oh, I hate them after all that you know it, and yeah well I never had that with Liverpool right because Liverpool's success was like real formative years of me like liking football so they were just always kind of oh there's this big club that people seem to go on about a lot but I have no idea why because they're never good you know and, and so yeah that's there will be sort of thir- you know, 30-year-olds. I had a different view. I'm sure you did, I, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I had a different view, but I, I, didn't, I didn't resent them winning the title. I thought they deserved it. They were a brilliant yeah. team. You know, that's, that, that's, and these things come around. And uh, it's just that when I was confronted with their success, I suddenly went back on my goodwill. But there you go. That's, that's, that's just me. That's fine. Um, uh, let's go to a place where <laughs> uh, things are running incredibly smoothly. Everton. <laughs> Uh, defeated 2-1 at home by Luton Town. Um, uh, yes, <laughs> great. That was the perfect noise, John. I mean, that's what sums it all up. <laughs> Let's start with Luton. Brilliant result for them. They have got better every game. Um, you know, and if that carries on, I mean, they, they'll win the title, won't they? And, you know, <laughs> I, I did say I would find it funny if they got naught points. Now I'm absolutely desperate for them to survive. They seem... Jordan to be you know and these things can change very quickly the the one of the three promoted sides who is actually getting better and and realizing what the task is and learning and 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 playing accordingly yeah, I mean, I think this is more about Everton being bad than Luton being good. And I hope Faye's not listening here because it's going to be incredibly offensive. But if you're losing at home to 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 to, to Luton, some something's really, really, really bad. Um, I, I don't. I, it's a great win for them. It's a really good win for Luton, of course. I think they deserve to win the match, and we'll see what effect it has going forward. But I I, I fear it's 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 a one off. I mean, if they get past three or four wins this season they've done really well again continue my theme the Morris uh, strike the second goal I think it was that is a really nice clean finish I think it's a well worked training ground goal as well so fair play to Luton but like I say I think the story here is more so Everton than, than it is about Luton Barney they couldn't defend set pieces and you sort of think if you were to open the Sean Dyche book of football that would be being able to defend set pieces would definitely be quite near the front yeah, he's not. He's probably not going to just laugh that one off and say say it's fine, is he? No, I mean they have a they have a massive problem. I I still think Everton will probably be fine because they've hurled so much money at the wall that there's enough there to probably and there are enough bad teams in the Premier League this year um, that Everton and sadly sadly Chelsea are not going to be um, dragged into anything like that. But um, I, I mean, yeah, Luton lost to to Exeter in midweek. Um, uh, fair enough, you know, a, a weakened team and stuff. But I agree with you, the idea that a team that that's a team that's been run that smartly and has punched above its weight is going to be able to learn on the job as well. You would think they're not stuck in some sort of way of playing or stuck in some idea of themselves. And it's interesting that they can try and solve and disrupt the Premier League. And they do clearly have a guy who can score goals as well. But yeah, I mean, Everton, um, that's that's a, a, a difficult day. Um, three of their prospective owners were in the crowd, John. Um, yeah, yeah. All in shades. Shades. Yeah, yeah. But sh- shades, not shady. Can we just clarify? We said shades, not shady. Yeah, but, yeah, 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 yeah. They, they all look like Kendall. They all look like different versions of Kendall Roy at different, different periods in his life. I bought some new clothes and my wife said I looked like Kendall Roy. It was a terrible insult. I was very upset about that. What did you buy? Like a sort of little like bomber jacket, little sort of jerkin. Um, <laughs> just some clothes that weren't covered in vomit. I mean, that's, what, that's all I was yeah, looking yeah. for. 
Oh, the baseball cap. No, it was the baseball cap. Was really baseball good. cap. Yeah, that's that's mm. a very yeah, yeah candle move. Um, sometimes you write a match report, and I wrote the week before. Everton, you know, have the talent. Are you know, the talent within their squad is enough to stay up. Blah blah blah. And then the week after, they lose to Luton, and that's just sometimes the way it can go. Because against Brentford, who you know are one of the yeah, okay, not having a great time, but are a decent team. Everton were outstanding. But there is this. The other thing is, of course, I don't think Everton players like playing at Goodison anymore, and that's a problem because it's home form that is essentially the bedrock of any team's performance in the league. So that's that's the issue there. Uh, and of course, as soon as things start going bad at Goodison, that's when the, you know the groan starts in, and then it all starts coming apart. All right, that'll do for part two. Part three will begin in Bournemouth. Fjellreven. Fjellreven. Egal wie du es sagst, Fjellreven ist die etwas andere Outdoor-Marke aus Schweden. Eine, die seit 1960 zeitlose Outdoor-Ausrüstung herstellt und dabei keinen Trends nachläuft oder irgendwelche Abkürzungen nimmt. Erfahre mehr und besuche uns auf fjellreven.de. Wir präsentieren die neue Wirtuhr, Teil der Diesel Metamorph-Kollektion. Konzipiert mit Virtual Reality Technologie, um ein einzigartig organisches und futuristisches Erscheinungsbild zu schaffen. Mit einem Armbanddesign, inspiriert von Reptilienwirbeln, einschließlich eines Gehäuses aus silberfarbenem Edelstahl. Zusätzlich können Sie exklusive NFTs für Ihre Sammlung freischalten, die Ihnen den Zugang zu einer virtuellen Welt ermöglichen. Besuchen Sie de.diesel.com, um die Metamorph-Kollektion zu entdecken. Welcome to part three of the Guardian Football Weekly. Sam says, uh, Dear Max, Barry and Co. First of all, congratulations on the new book. I've thoroughly enjoyed it. Was not at all surprised to learn Wilson has seen a bearded dragon riding a small bike. On the subject of books, I recently returned from a holiday to the Greek island of Rhodes. Within the hotel was a bookcase. I thought you'd like to know the only book in English was Harry Redknapp's autobiography, Always Managing. Good. So all the best, Sam, in London. Yeah, the book is out now. Dangerously close to being a bestseller. I don't know if we've missed that boat, um, but please buy it, because that would be funny. Uh, 15% off if you go to the Guardian Bookshop, uh, guardianbookshop.com slash football hyphen weekly hyphen book. And thanks to the Football Weekly Ultras who came to the book launch last uh, Tuesday morning or Wednesday morning. It was about five o'clock in the morning for me. Um, anyway, I was going to say you can thank my mum for buying four copies. Thanks, as well. thanks, well. Mama Bruin. Um, I don't think my mum even knows about it. Um, uh, Bournemouth nil, Arsenal four. I mean, I don't know, Jordan, if Arsenal even needed to wash the kit off. <laughs> like, it seems so easy. <laughs> I, I was chatting to some friends last night. And I think the last two times we've been to Bournemouth, we've had it really easy. I think we won there three nil last year. The last time before that, I think 4-0 as well. We seem to like it there. Yeah, they, they, they didn't get out of second gear. Well, the irony is the first five minutes, they were all over us. They were all over us. Um, didn't create anything, but they were they were busy and very active. And then we just kind of like said, OK, we'll, we'll take over from here. Um, yeah, I, I think the kind of conundrum amongst Arsenal fan base is why we're so good defensively away from home. But yet we can't seem to keep clean sheets at, at, at the Emirates. We are, we're a beast away from home. Um and yeah, when you've got players like Saka and such up top, you're always going to score goals. My only kind of note on this game was the whole penalty thing. So there's two things here. I, I'm not quite sure if I like the rotating of penalty takers, although I think I know why they're doing it. I've heard a theory about that. And also, I wasn't happy about the Kai Havertz 
penalty, the pity penalty as you put it in your intro, because whilst I understand the logic behind giving him some confidence, getting him a goal, blah, 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 it was only 2-0. And I just don't know if you want to be kind of giving out pity penalties, you know, away from home when you're only 2-0 up, although we were in full control. So I didn't I didn't like that. But um, otherwise, yeah, it was, a, it was a massive win, especially as you mentioned earlier on, with City losing ahead of the game next week. What's your theory about rotating penalty takers? Well, I've, I've heard that it just keeps the takers, uh, sorry, the keepers on their toes. So we know how meticulous goalkeepers now, now are when it comes to preparing for penalty takers. But if you're Edison next weekend, you don't know if it's, are you preparing for Saka, Odegaard? Kai Havertz or somebody else so I, I think this is kind of like well we've got three or four good takers why would you just put it all on one person which I get but um, that works until it doesn't so I'm, I'm, I'm kind of on the fence with that one um, Declan Rice said it, it was a high pressure moment when Kai Havertz took the penalty I'm not sure 2-0 up at Bournemouth I know, it's only, I know you said it's only 2-0 I'm not sure that is a, a high pressure moment is it? The only thing is that Bournemouth's performances are rather vindication for Gary O'Neill, who we mentioned before. Um, you know, I know that Iraola was very highly regarded by those who know these things at Rayo Vallecano, but it's difficult to transplant that into the Premier League. Tough season ahead for Bournemouth, I think. Yeah, um, I think you're right. Uh, Newcastle 2, Burnley 0. Uh, this is very straightforward. Barney, we talked about Luton learning and Burnley, you know, we want people to play expansive football. Both those goals were defensively just... Bad, really bad. Yeah, um, the, uh, Vincent Company is right. They have had some difficult fixtures, and they have they have some players that are really exciting to watch. And I, I hope that they keep on playing like that. I'm sure they will. Um, I actually think Burnley will probably be fine. They've got enough sort of talent, and and they won't blink. But haven't Newcastle? Newcastle have gone into kind of invincible mode, haven't they? They don't concede any goals and just wipe the floor with everyone. Um, it's it's it is remarkable. Uh, I know they have they have spent quite a lot of money, but it is remarkable the injection of energy that still going on at that club. Um, and you, you have to say Eddie Howe has done done a really good job. Um, I, I see them pushing up into top four again. They did it for that tree, though, didn't they? Well, Jack says, does Eddie Howe love trees because they reflect the value? Yeah. He says, yeah, does Eddie Howe love trees because they reflect the value of looking nice and staying silent? To um, uh, our listeners not in the UK, um, uh, a very famous sycamore tree was uh, brutally chopped down. It's in Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, if you if you want to see it. Oh, is that the tree? What a great movie. Now I'm really. Did, up. did any of you know? Did you know about this tree? Before? I've, be, I've actually been. I've actually it. been to it. Yeah, on. Uh, uh, well, they they call we we would call it Hadrian's Wall, but right. up there they actually call it um, Adrian's Wall, which made me laugh. But, um, but did yeah, you people talk it, about yeah. this tree a lot? Is it a sort of a thing people are always chatting about? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, it was like a. How's the tree? <laughs> yeah, it was like a. There was a sort of group. I was listening to Radio Four. There was a sort of group of enthusiasts for this thing, and then. They wake up one morning and it's gone. Mm. Well, I mean, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, one of the greatest movies of all time, of course, to the trees, a great line, not that specific tree. Um, but yes, Eddie Howe was asked about it at a press conference and uh, he said he was sad about it. And some people have pointed out that in previous press conferences, he's been asked about perhaps worse things than a tree being chopped down and said, I'm just a football man. I'm just here for football reasons. 
I would have been much better if you'd said that, wouldn't it? I'm not angrily. <laughs> I'm not. I am not here to talk about those issues. I'm here yeah. to talk about football. Just yeah. refusing ten questions about the tree in, yeah. in, a, in a row. <laughs> I think so. But then, if you really strip it back, if he can't talk about the tree, can't actually talk about anything. Can't you know what do you want for dinner, Eddie? And he can't. He can't answer that question. I mean, I think as you tweeted, it's sort of beyond parody. It's beyond parody. I mean, it, it, th- that's a lack of self awareness, there, isn't it? I mean. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I suppose the thing is, though, who asked that question? Did, did Alex Ferguson ever get asked the question about, know. like, you know, some some sort of vandalism on Oldley Edge or something like that? Did you know? Did did this? It, it, it's a very odd. <laughs> it is sequence of events. Yeah, yeah it's strange. I'm, I'm just if Rob Harris, who is the sort of bravest question asker, is at the PSG press conference. He will ask the question that we all want to be asked, won't 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 he? Miggy um, Almiron's effort was beautiful goal. We should point out, um, and he's very good at that in the sort of Arjen Robin, Andros Townsend envelope. Um, uh, West Ham two, Sheffield United nil. Um, yeah, Sheffield United, Barney are in real trouble, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, they are. Um, yeah, I, I kind of fear slightly for the for the manager because you think, what can we? What levers have we got to pull here? Um, and he's sort of doing his best to look concerned and in control and as though this is all fine. It's all part of the the grand plan. He has a very good kind of calm facial expression that suggests we're right near down, but that's fine because we we anticipated this and we planned for it. Um, yeah, they, I mean, they're going to have to do something fairly drastic there. Mm. Uh, it was David Moyes' 900th league game as manager. Let's do a countdown from 900 to 1. Um, maybe I'll do that as a separate podcast. I would listen to it. I'm not sure. Would you start with, would the number one be the best game or just the most goals? So you just do all the nil-nil draws from sort of in the 900, in the 800s. Would you not start with like the early days as a, was he playing manager at yeah. Preston? Yeah, yeah. yeah. you'd yeah. go chronologically, would you? Maybe that's maybe that's the best way. Yeah, to the do days it. of Kurt Nogan. Would you say David Moyes hasn't managed yeah. nine hundred games? He's managed the same game nine hundred times. <laughs> Shane warns that. I mean, that's unfair. David Moyes is actually a very important figure at the moment because West Ham are the only team that isn't interested in possession. Um, you know, it's like you have the ball, it's fine. Yes. And I, I kind of quite like that. <laughs> mm. I, there's some part of me, no one, there was no real consultation on changing football to a game that basically happens with your goalkeeper and your fullbacks playing five aside. Most of the game, your neck is fixed on one of the penalty areas while a goalie does stepovers and some fullbacks do a kind of little rondo with each other. And that's what football sort of become somehow. Um, uh, you know, attackers defend. And goalies get to kind of spray the ball around. When do you think someone will work? I mean, clearly the way to stop that is like the press, right? And do well, the it's all based well. on the press. It's based. It's a reaction to the press. It's 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 a reaction to the fact that if yeah. you do that, we'll play right back here in our six yard box and go in behind you. So there's nowhere to go. You have mm. to just keep pressing into the sure. crowd over the goal line. There's nowhere yeah. left to play. But it does seem to me that it it does seem to me that you know the really elite football matches between two sides that like to do that are almost entirely based on if one of your centre mids can just beat their opponent in one like tiny moment, like some brilliant bit of skill from your centre mid and then that opens everything up. And presumably someone is thinking there must be the next thing. The next thing is to get it launched. Well, yeah. there we are. Are, are we ignoring the corner flag? Yeah, yeah. Should more stuff be happening by the corner flag? <laughs> <laughs> <Why not? laughs> uh, Nottingham Forest 1, Brentford 1. Um... I liked the Dominguez header, John. I thought that was really special. If I was to pick a moment from this game, 
Yeah, yeah. Actually, I'm, I'm just watching the match today two coverage. Thomas Frank made a good point. I think he's talking to Glenn Murray, who is a pretty supreme header of the ball, and he said, you know, even you would have only done that uh, one out of a hundred times. So yeah, it, it was it, it was a fine goal and another game. I think that got away from Brentford. They're struggling though. They don't think it's is it seven or eight first team players that they're without. I think also the problem that they've got is that they perhaps saw the return of Ivan Tony as a get out, but now Arsenal wants him and that's that creates problems. Uh Wisser and Wemo, both very good players, don't hold the ball up too well. Uh Forrest under uh, under Steve Cooper, they've got grit, haven't they? They've got grit. They dig themselves out and particularly at the city ground. Uh I think Cooper's a very impressive manager, very impressive character. Uh, and of course, his dad is an ex-referee, so uh, he spoke very well about VAR and refereeing as well, a sort of very mature approach to it, whereas I think they asked Thomas Frank about it, and he just said, I don't want to talk about it. Because I think that's a reaction of managers now. It's like, just don't put me near this ticking time bomb, please. Yeah, I mean, there was that moment where, was it Whistler nicked the ball off Matt Turner, and then Turner just kicked him over, and there was just nothing. You know, like, that definitely is a foul. Well, there was a, there was a sending off as well, wasn't there? Uh, which was a well, a, a two bookables that that because that's that's a big trend of the weekend, isn't it? You know the the two buckle for after, soon after each other. Yeah, well, we didn't really talk about the Jota one, did we? And I just thought he seemed slightly unlucky. I think you know he shouldn't have gone to ground for the second one, but we don't need to tread no, old no, ground. No, no, no. Um, uh, Michael Bill's been sacked as Rangers manager. Oh. Fulham Chelsea's on Monday night. We will endeavour to remember that it happened when we do Wednesday's pod <laughs> and like the last Monday night football. Uh, that was just significant human error last time. Uh, Michael Beale's been sacked as Rangers manager for many significant human errors, presumably after Saturday's uh, home defeat by Aberdeen. Left them seven points behind Celtic after seven games. Their third defeat of the season in the league. Also knocked out the Champions League by PSV heavily, uh, weren't they? So it's, it's back to Albert Square. Michael Beale goes then, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. isn't it? Which, I'm, which one? Because I remember Pete and Ian... Was uh, was he just? He was. Well, the... maybe, maybe maybe he's the sort of. Was there, was there a brother called Kenny who moved to New Zealand? This is about the eighties. Maybe he's right, some sort maybe. of grandson. He uh, could you know. be. He could come back and take over the fruit stall. Is that what he could yeah, do? Yeah, 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 oh, right. yeah. There'll be some sort of yeah. Pay tribute to Arthur, of course, who would have been his. You know, by was by marriage into the Beale family. Yeah, yeah. Our, our thoughts with Arthur Fowler at this time. <laughs> <laughs> the WSL kicked off the week this weekend. Uh, the Guardian Women's Football Weekly is good, and uh, listen to it, please. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, Liverpool beat Arsenal at the Emirates. Chelsea beat Spurs. Uh, Man United uh, won late on at Villa um, on Thursday. I had a bit of a cold, and a lot of people thought it wasn't me for quite a long time. I've still got a bit of a cold because I've lost my sense of taste and smell, but I don't have COVID. I don't know what that means. Um, but Kieran suggested, uh, said, any idea what's going on with Max's voice in the latest Guardian Football podcast? Has it been done with AI? A lot of people like the idea of AI, Max. Producer Joel said I'd been dead for two years and I never actually moved to Australia. It was all just up front. <laughs> and uh, this is not a human you're speaking to. You did write an article about AI, Barney, which was really quite depressing because it basically said that I'm going to get murdered by a robot pretty soon. That's that's what I took out of it. Yeah, well, I just I was watching some esports, and and you always your instinct is to be very charitable about these things because it's a new thing and people love it. It's very big, but lots of new things aren't very good. Um, you know, processed food 
battery chickens, uh, the internet. And uh, yeah, AI is, is going to change everything and, and sport's always there in the vanguard of these things. Although um, people keep talking about the automated system for, for, for offside and for VAR, don't they? Well, yeah, which is exciting. Yes. Although obviously someone mm. will have to program and work and interpret the automated system, hopefully, so we can complain about them or, or get better robots. What's wrong with these robots? Presumably that we'll, we'll get the, the bald, tedious Yorkshire version of robots. <laughs> C-3PO was bald, wasn't he? He wasn't a Yorkshireman, I suppose. Most <laughs> most robots are Metal Mickey, also bald. I mean, most robots are R2-D2, short and bald. But Perhaps he was from Yorkshire but had that thespian accent instead. You know. Yeah, that's possibly true, isn't it? Um, um, <laughs> Producer Joel says, processed food, battery chickens, the internet. It sounded like Barney was about to embark on his own version of We Didn't Start the Fire. <laughs> uh, <laughs> perhaps you can send us that from India uh, for the live shows. Uh, that'll do for today, um, won't it? Uh, thank you, Jordan. Cheers, pal. Thank you, John. Thanks for having me. Thank you, Barney. Cheers. Bye, everyone. Champions League is back, so we'll be back on Wednesday. Football Weekly is produced by Joel Grove. Our executive producer is Daniel Stevens. This is The Guardian. <laughs> 